Hola y bienvenidos. Welcome to another episode of the Latino Card and Idaho Press podcast. I'm doing the intro all by myself today um, because unfortunately um, JJ is not going to be in this episode. He kindly stepped aside to make room for quite a few guests today. So uh, in the Radio Boise studios we have um, several Latina journalists because we are going to talk about Latinas in journalism in Idaho. So we have Rachel Spachek, who is the Latino Affairs reporter with the Idaho Press. And then we have Risen from the Dead, <laughs> Nicole Foy from the Idaho Statesman. And we were also supposed to have Megan Taros, um, who is the Latino Affairs reporter in the at the Times News in Twin Falls, but we were unable to get her in because of technical difficulties with the call-in technology. It was above our heads. We tried really hard. Um, so, Rachel, Nicole, welcome. Welcome back, the both of y'all. <laughs> I was wondering how long like we were going to go before there was a ghost joke, since that's the only joke apparently this yeah. podcast knows how to I make. Knew it was if it's be not broke, don't jokes. fix it. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank yeah. you. <laughs> so, you don't sound very grateful. <laughs> well, we brought y'all in um, because we definitely wanted to talk about representation in specifically news media in Idaho, why it's important. So, Nicole, let's start with you um, because you were, I guess, the first journalist in Idaho to be a Hispanic affairs or a Latino affairs reporter. Um, so, tell us a little bit about how you got here um, and how you broke that mold. It's really weird for me when people say things like, you know, break the mold. And like, I get uncomfortable talking about that because one of the things that I'm really passionate about when it comes to representation in journalism is I also think it's incredibly important that it comes from the communities that we're reporting on. And so like in that aspect, I'm not from Idaho. You know, I came here two years ago um, from a job in Chicago, grew up in California. And like, as we all know, like one, like let like Latino communities across the country are not interchangeable. They have different um, needs and histories and things um, that are really important to know in order to understand them. And so um, it's it can be difficult, especially because if you're dealing with, you know, a whole like an all white staff It's just like this assumption of like, well, you're you're Latina. You get it. Then like you can go right into this neighborhood and ever they'll talk to you mm -hmm. because you're Latina. And so, you know, everything. And it's like, I don't know anything about this state, which is definitely something that happened a lot in the first couple of, um, you know, months reporting in Idaho. Um, but yeah, it's it's but I think that's changing a lot um, in How's Idaho. That? Well, we were just talking before the we started unless ash was secretly recording as she always is <laughs> um about how this is i think one of the first times that there are more latino journalists in the state than are in this room which is kind of funny <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> it's and changed it's a, a lot it's a wonderful thing yeah sure. yeah it's changed a lot you know so um, hopefully that's a that's a shift that's um, happening and also that we'll start seeing it um, happen in, um, you know, when it comes to other groups and other demographics. Um, it's, of course, most pressing for the Latino community, I believe, in Idaho because that is Idaho's largest mi uh, minority group. Um, but like we have no Native American, um, you know, reporters in the state that I'm aware of, you know. No, there might, I think there are one or two, um, 
you know, black reporters, but I can't think of them off the top of my head. So it's, you know, something that's changing and, and different and also crucially important, I think, when if it comes to making sure that, you know, all voices are represented in our reporting and that you're just giving an accurate, like, characterization of the communities that we're writing about. It's a long answer. (laughs) We've had, no, it was a good one. Um, We've actually had, it's not like you're the first Latina person to be a journalist in Idaho. In fact, uh, Rebecca de Leon (laughs) worked for several local newspapers, again, which is why, like, I was going to say that, which is like, it's... Well, and it was, obviously, it wasn't just me either. There have been mm-hmm. um, Latina and Latino journalists in Idaho before. Mm-hmm. But what makes you different is that you had a dedicated beat to, yeah. like, Latino affairs and mm-hmm. Latino affairs coverage. Whereas um, before, I remember that when I was a reporter, when I went into journalism, the whole point of me going into journalism was that I wanted to bridge that gap. And I wanted to make sure that Latinos could see themselves in represented in media more and not just... The crime, because that's all you ever saw us Mm -hmm. in the papers for back in the day. Um, You know, but then when I get into like the quote unquote, the real world and I get into actual journalism, I saw that um, there was no space for that. You know, they were like, we don't have time for you to tell those kinds of stories necessarily because you're too busy covering city council meetings where everybody's white and you can't comment on the fact that everybody's white and Mm -hmm. you're too busy covering, you know, this kind of event where everybody's white. And so there wasn't really that much space. And um You know, I wouldn't say that they were, like, openly hostile to the idea of, like, can I just go cover, like, a couple features on Latino people in the area? They they weren't necessarily like, no, absolutely not. If it's brown, don't do it. It wasn't like that, but it was a systematic, built-in way of excluding Latinos. And so I think that I, I kept a very sharp eye on other Latinos or what I would assume or let the, you never really know. Um, <laughs> secret journalists, Latinos. yeah, <laughs> secret underground journalists who are brown, um, you know, and, and the things that they did. And it seemed like, yeah, if there was something that was really big in the community, mm-hmm. it would be they who come out. But for, you know, 90% of their coverage looked exactly like everybody else's coverage. And the reason why is because there was no space for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's actually what got me so discouraged in journalism it's actually why i left journalism that and i wanted to make a livable wage <laughs> fair but I left very journalism. fair yeah <laughs> i'm gonna insert a rap air no. horn like after you say that <laughs> we'll just no just edit it in like a like like very long silence that's what we need to where everyone's just like yes cricket <laughs> yes and so my my personal plan was all right you know when I was a journalist you get like hundreds of press releases a day um, but I never got any from anyone in the Latino community so I I honestly didn't even know what they were doing too and I had a hard time getting into the community again I wasn't really slaughtered enough time to actually try but um, I left journalism to go into marketing and communication specifically for a nonprofit in, in the area that does services for Latinos and I was like my reasoning was I'm going to make us loud on the other side so that everybody will have the same, you know, all of the journalists, since there is nobody covering us, all of the journalists will have the same sort of like access to the Latino community. And, and then, there will be no excuse. There will be not no excuses because <laughs> I will make us very loud. I know how to talk to media, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so my, my career has kind of stayed away from journalism a little bit until the podcast um, and until 
you know, I, I'm also freelancing right now for the Boise Weekly. So that's really fun. So I am kind of a journalist again. It's kind of fun. You Super just fun, need actually. to accept it. You keep saying like kind of well, because I'm recovering <laughs> journalist. And it's just like you just need to accept. I would that- love to be a journalist again. But then I'm sitting in the room with the two of y'all. And you guys are making huge strides in journalism for as brown people and so it's like I can't really compare because I also I'm, I'm on the dark side of it no because that, that's like saying like you're not like I'm like me being like well I'm not a real journalist because I don't work for the New York Times like it's like it's different it's not like necessarily. I'm, yeah. in an, I'm in a career field that is exactly the opposite of what journalism is a true you have a side gig it's yeah. fine <laughs> it's yeah. the thing that pays my bills <laughs> <laughs> again livable wage y'all <laughs> Must be nice. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. Rachel, what about, is it this pronounced like the lack of representation? You worked in Nevada. What was it like in Nevada? Um, So I worked in Las Vegas where there is a, I mean, I don't have specific numbers, but there's a large Latino population there. And there were there was no one covering Latino affairs who had that specific beat. I don't think there was anyone else who was Latino or Latina there. Maybe, you know, those like undergrounds like me. <laughs> but um, yeah, so there was like a huge lack of representation. And similar to Rebecca, I would try to like squeeze in some because I covered a community beat. And so I would try to squeeze in some like Latino affairs stuff on my beat but you're not given enough time I'm not given the time I have now to specifically cover like those communities and so yeah and even like the newspaper I grew up in like the city I grew up in like really diverse and I don't think like I never saw anyone who looked like me or my mom like on in the newspaper anything at all even on TV like no one looked like us Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, I mean, and we get, and I, I'm sure you get this too, Rachel. I know I get it. You get a lot of pushback um, when you have a specifically covering a Latino affairs beat because it's like, well, you should really be writing these stories about everybody. It's like that is true, and that is what the rest of the paper is doing every day. (laughs) But you can't, like, you know, like just like you, like so eloquently, like recapped for us is that without sometimes without a like a focus and a dedication those stories just fall through the cracks Mm -hmm. it's the same reason like port for america right now is hiring reporters across the country to fill specific coverage gaps and it's not just and you know a lot of them are latino affairs issues but also some of them are just like we're gonna hire a healthcare reporter Mm -hmm. we're gonna hire an education reporter and it's not it's the same it's like a very similar thing where it's not just because they weren't doing health care or um, education stories before maybe they were barely doing them but it's really hard to do something and actually execute it if you don't have one somebody who really cares about doing that and two actual space for that to happen in and so like you know the only reason why I was able to come to Idaho and start doing that beat is actually because that was something that the Idaho press created they right. created that beat they said we want you to focus on this of course I'd also like other responsibilities I also had to go to county meetings and mm-hmm. cover things like agriculture which of course like I loved doing but it's um, only because a space was created and like hopefully like in the future that won't it won't be as necessary for you know for it to only depend on whether an institution creates a space but it's incredibly important because you know having something like a Latino Affairs beat 
is really important in a state like this where um, there has been a like long existing Latino community that was just either not covered or so horrifically (laughs) portrayed for, and we're talking 50 years. Like you can honestly say 50, 60 years, there has been a vibrant, decent sized Latino community in this state that did not receive adequate coverage. And so you can't just assume that all of a sudden it will change just by trying really hard. You have to have set goals and you have to have set parameters and you have to have, um, you know, you have to do some additional legwork because a lot of those communities, rightly so, mm-hmm. are either burnt out by trying to get like mm-hmm. the stuff that they're doing in the paper or incredibly hostile because yeah. of the things that they've seen. I mean, my first couple of months, I had so many people, you know, say to me about things that had been in the Idaho press a decade ago. Yeah. They a, did as dirty a decade that, ago. Yeah, a de- like, and I was just like, you know, I, I couldn't. It was one of those things where the first couple of times people told me, I didn't know what they were talking about. I had to go back and do my research and talk to people. Actually, that's how Rebecca and I got connected is I took her out to lunch and was just like, hey, um, I've been hearing some things about things that my paper has done. Like, you know, what do you know? Who should I know? And Rebecca was like, girl, let me tell you about what has happened in that's the pages true. of that paper. And that's something <laughs> that like is something, you know, we can't shy away from it. You know, it's it's it doesn't change it you know it doesn't make it better but like if um if you're aware of the fact that there's a reason for why this community might not want to talk to you doesn't want to engage with you doesn't want to talk to reporters and has no interest in whether or not their community is covered like that's Mm -hmm. there's a reason for that it doesn't just happen in a vacuum Mm -hmm. Uh. and you know that brings up um, another point that i really wanted to talk to y'all about um, and that is kind of like the sense of camaraderie um, among Latina journalists in Idaho. So, Rachel, you came in. Nicole had already occupied that space at the Idaho Press before you. Um, but now she's at a different paper, um, the Idaho Statesman, and I know that they're competing for readership in the Treasure Valley. Um, you know, and here we are sitting in a room, and the two of y'all are just supporting each other. And why don't you hate each other? So... <laughs> Actually, actually, you can't see right now, but I've been shooting Rachel death glares this entire time. No, it's so great because people are always shocked that we're friends. Like, it's really funny. Like, we were on the ag tour and a lawmaker actually approached us um, and was just like, I saw you guys talking. Um, are you like collaborating? Because I know you guys are from competing papers, and we were just like, we're friends. And like, <laughs> she'll read my stuff, and I'll read her stuff, and give it compliments, like it on Twitter. And I, like Nicole said, without her, I can't imagine I would have the guts to go into a space and say, "This is the beat." Like I'm gonna cover. She was really like. Went in, kind of like step outside, made space. Like she made space for me to come do this, and just like she did for me. Like I hope I can do that for other, like younger Latina journalists to say, no, this space exists for you. Maybe I'm moving on, but I want you to do this. You need to do this. And before I, like I was interviewing for the job, and I reached out to her, and she talk to me like like so honestly and that's what I needed 
And so, yeah, I would never hate her at all. (laughs) Sometimes she gets really good scoops. (laughs) But, yeah, I could never hate her. And that's true. I mean, Megan Taros, who who was supposed to be here, but... R.I.P. Megan. Yeah, R.I.P. She's (laughs) the new ghost, I guess. (laughs) She, um, as soon as she moved, I mean, she moved to Twin Falls and the three of us were located. I mean, actually, Rachel, you weren't here yet. Oh, yeah, Um, she did come to Idaho before you did. Yeah. And so uh, she came from New York. And as soon as she got here, I know... Nicole and I were like, oh my gosh, new friend. And we like, we drove to Twin Falls and (laughs) she drives up to here. Like actually she drove up here first, Yeah, but she drove all the way up here just to have brunch with us. And then we drove down there um, and we were like, we need to make sure that she succeeds. Mm -hmm. Like our, our goal was like, she needs to have community. We need to make sure that she succeeds. I mean, she is a total like badass and she can Mm -hmm. take care of her damn self. She didn't need us, but, um, you know, and again, she's technically, I guess it's like a rival news outlet. But I mean, the three of y'all just like are always supporting each other. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful thing. And I don't think that that necessarily happens in such a close knit way with any other kind of journalists in Idaho. Yeah. I mean, well, like, first of all, there's not enough journalists anyway for for us to be as competitive or not like competitive is fine competition is good sure. um but as you know to be hostile towards each other right. there's yeah there's not there's not enough journalists in the first place and then there's definitely not enough latino journalists people of color journalists of color in this state for her to do that and there's plenty of news like we're coming in like we're all coming in covering a community that like we said has been undercovered or badly covered for decades there's plenty of stories to do we don't have to fight over the last like every last bit of it and half we don't you know we don't have to be competitive like and also too like if you're not actively trying to pull people up after you then why are Mm -hmm. you in that space that's real that's really the thing is just um i mean that's the way i look at it like i didn't i don't have i came from like a place of a lot of privilege like I was able to you know I have a lot of student loans I had to go I went to the school that gave me the you know the big you know the biggest scholarship but like I had a lot of parental support you know I also like have talked frequently about how I feel like I have a lot of like you know like white white passing privilege because my dad is white and um, I don't necessarily look extremely Mexican to everybody Mm -hmm. and so like sometimes that makes it easier for me to Mm -hmm. get into spaces where other people would feel really uncomfortable or at least like just to usually what happens to me is there's like enough doubt in there where people are just like don't know what she is (laughs) so what am I supposed to to do treat this woman yeah yeah, I have no idea so we're just gonna play it safe you know there's enough doubt um but like so so it's a thing it's just like why I don't know, you know, Rebecca, you and I, and actually, Rachel, we've talked about this too, where it's just like, generally, you should be suspicious of people who want to be the only one, Mm -hmm. who want to be like someone who wants to be the only woman in the room, who wants to be the only, you know, the only this, the only that, because that's something that you should be suspicious of, I personally think of, because it's like, what what benefit is there to you being the only one? It's only benefit for you. It's only benefit for your own, your own ego, your own power. And like, that's it's childish. Yeah, it's childish. Like, why? When there's like, you know, there's so much to be done. There's so much 
um, that can be done if we work together and supportive of each other. And also, too, like, it sucks being the only one. Mm-hmm. It sucks really bad. Like, I don't like I don't know why people would want to be the only one. And I think we get a lot of power in being able to, like, text each other and be like, this is a thing that just happened to me. And I need to know if this has happened to you, too, because, like, am I crazy? Just like having somebody that you can talk to and be like, am I crazy or did did this really happen to me? And to have somebody there who is in your state, who's probably run into that person before and to just be like, oh, girl, no, like, don't don't back down because this is absolutely something that they do. And also, you shouldn't have to feel like you have to back down from yeah. that you know yeah nicole has definitely done that for me <laughs> several times the underlying bit of this is like let's be let's be real um latinos are not particularly welcome in professional positions in idaho and as much as idaho likes to pat itself on the back especially certain areas of idaho like to pat themselves on the back and say oh no we i mean it doesn't matter what color skin you are uh, all that matters is if you can do the job right but that's not true and that's not true specifically because of the systemic racism that is built in because even if that is allegedly your mantra which it's likely not (laughs) even if that is your mantra the system is still set up to not make space for us as we were mentioning a Hispanic affairs reporter is very, very different than just having a reporter who happens to be Hispanic. It is not a matter of like, I don't care about your skin color or I don't see color. It's about dismantling the system that is set up to make sure that only certain people can uh, succeed. And unless you, um, you being whomever, unless you recognize that that system does exist and it does need to be dismantled, then you are in, in essence supporting systemic racism and you're mm-hmm. still... Um, not making space for other people. Yeah, and it's just it's it's interesting too because and I I think it's interesting when other journalists um, don't necessarily recognize this, but as journalists, so much of what we do, like we 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 try really our best, but I think we're being a lot more honest about the fact that like no person is like this like like you know synthetic objective thing like we all bring with us our life experiences and we bring our likes and our dislikes and um you know the things that we believe about the world and the things that we hate about the world we all bring that into the work that we do and so much of like honestly sometimes the stories that you want to do is because you grew up riding horses on your family's Mm -hmm. ranch or you grew up in this city and so you're interested in you know there's so many things that we bring about our life experiences that it changed the way we look at stories. It changes the people we talk to mm-hmm. it, um, or the That's people right. that we think to talk to. Um, and so I don't like it's it's just so very obvious to me that if you have a newsroom that is mo- people mostly from the same background, right. then you're going to get the same type of stories. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean they're not going to be good stories. But mm-hmm. if there's a significant part of your community that is not represented in your newsroom, you got to assume you're going to miss a lot of those stories. Yep. It's just it just makes sense because we're human beings like mm-hmm. we make connections based on our own personal connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are stories that I will push for, like Nicole said, that no one else in my newsroom will push for. You put in your paper what's important to you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. In journalism, they teach just like 
yeah, I mean, you can be as objective as possible when you're writing the article, but the fact that you're writing an article mm -hmm. about that already says something. Yeah. It already says that that's newsworthy versus like what's happening in their neighbor's house with mm -hmm. what you have deemed not newsworthy. And mm -hmm. that already mm -hmm. makes a yeah. statement. So I kind of want to ask the both of y'all, <laughs> what... What advice do you have for newsrooms who want to be more open to reporters of color? Specifically Latinos, because that's what y'all are. Like, what do you mean by open? Like making it let's a good say, working environment? Yeah. So let's say um, I am a big fancy pants and I own a big newspaper and none of my reporters have ever been Hispanic, but I've wanted them to be. Um, and I and I tell myself, well, it's because mm -hmm. Hispanic people or Latina people don't apply for the positions. And I would love to have one, but they just, you know, um, you know, what would you tell them? What can you do to bring them to your door, essentially? Hmm. Well, I mean, we did this um you know, we did that uh, panel and workshop at the Youth Summit because there had never been a media workshop like that before. And that's, you know, those are the best and brightest, some of the best and brightest high school students in the state, you know, because a lot, a lot of these students go to that conference to, um, you know, to apply for a micron, a full, fully paid micron internship or to fight for scholarships. You know, those are some really dedicated kids and there were never any media workshops there. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, telling because if you're not starting at the bottom, like at, at the bottom of the of the um, what's the word? Like the professional totem pole? Yeah. The, no, or no. If you're not starting at the beginning, uh, like the yeah, gosh, yeah. what is it called? Like the pipe, the, the pipeline. The beginning. Thank you. The, the pipeline. Yeah. School to professional pipeline. Yes. Instead of the school to prison pipeline. Yeah. But you know, if you're not starting even in high school and yeah. getting some people interested, like I mean, I I only got into journalism on accident. I just knew I really liked to write. I had a lot of people who encouraged me to write and my dad talked me into take majoring in journalism instead of English because he like thought I was never going to get a job as an English major. Like very apologized to all of the English majors in <laughs> in the room <laughs> and in the, I don't know, um, you know, but I, um, you know, so like I came into it by accident, but like we have to, we have to at least make sure that people know that's an option. Like, is it a wise option with the state of the journalism industry today? Unclear. <laughs> but, you know, I just have to make sure that like, you know, if they're if we're telling them they can be lawyers and engineers and, and welders and there needs to be somebody in these high school classrooms talking mm -hmm. about um, like you can be a journalist, too, if you want to. And also just the 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 power of being able to do that in your own community, because mm -hmm. right. I think um that's been sold in white communities pretty strongly is you can be a voice for your community. You know it really well. You mm -hmm. know these people in your neighborhood. And one of the things that we just kept telling the kids at this conference, hopefully it stuck. Not all of them were really interested in newspapers. It was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. They um, uh, It's just like, you know, someone's going to be telling a story about your community. Mm -hmm. Do you want it to be you mm -hmm. or do you want it to be somebody who has no business being there, mm -hmm. maybe has a little bit of prejudice and just at the end of the day doesn't know where the bad neighborhoods are, where the cool uh, place is, the family mm -hmm. that's doing a good thing. Like, you right. know these things. Right. You should be the tour guide for your mm -hmm. community and you shouldn't leave it up to other people who have no reason to do to, – to get it right. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just creating a space for that in your newsroom. Like if you continue to do the same thing and just say, "Oh, I wish I had more Latinos in this newsroom." It, you're not you're not going to get people applying. So opening up a Latino affairs position or things mm-hmm. like that, like that is crucial because it like I said if Nicole had never done that I would never be here you know and things like that and so yeah and I guess Report for America is doing that a lot by saying we want someone to cover this community we want someone yeah to cover these from these communities to cover these communities so I think that's important too and retaining the people that you do have so listening as a boss listening to us listening and I think my editors do a really good job of of leaving it up to me to decide what matters and what I should cover. So I think that's important for newsrooms who want to create that space is listen to the person you hired to do this job who's from this community. It is really interesting to me why like and so this is not speaking from personal experience here because I think I've been like Rachel said I've been really lucky with like the editors and the people who I've worked for in Idaho who have opened up spaces for this and also been very supportive of the things and you know things that I want to be just like this is the story like I swear this is the story like you know like my the statesman let me put a story on our Sunday front page about a group of ladies um, who like ride horses side saddle and speak in Spanish out in the middle of Caldwell. Like I, I, I was just looking think, thinking back, like I can't believe that got to be a front page yeah. story. Amazing. Well, yeah. like I, it's just not everybody would allow that. And that's, and I, I know it's cause like I talked to, you know, like it's not just reporters here in, in Idaho. I think a very cool change about this, this push to get um, to diversify, diversify newsrooms of color is um, there's a there's also like kind of a wider support system for um, those reporters across the country. So like we're all a lot of us are talking to each other and friends with people in Seattle and Dallas and California. And we kind of swap stories about what it's like in, in your newsroom. You know, how did you do this? And it never ceases to amaze me how you can hire somebody sometimes to do this incredibly difficult job. They're already going to have so many insecurities. Imposter syndrome is Mm -hmm. rampant among journalists of color. Mm -hmm. You don't feel like you should be in that space and you're constantly second guessing yourself. And the emails in your inbox are telling you you should be second guessing yourself because you're racist. Like, I don't know, something like that. And yet there are some don't hire someone to do this job. If you're not going to support them, you're not going to give them resources, and you're just going to constantly make them question Mm -hmm. the validity of their place in that newsroom. I've heard that from a lot of young reporters, and it's so frustrating to me because it's already a hard job. You shouldn't be getting – you shouldn't be getting you shouldn't be having to fight battles within your newsroom as well. And so, like, I guess, honestly, like, if you're not ready to have some of those conversations, if you're not ready to edit a story that talks about a community that you've been writing about for 20 years and it's from a completely different perspective, if you're not ready for that, don't, you know, don't don't hire someone for that position and just right. leave them out, like hang them out to dry, because that's a really it's really rough, especially since like we already like we already just go through so much as journalists and go through so much just insecurity about like, you know, and, and stay up all night wondering if we spelled a name wrong. Like we don't need someone 
questioning like your whole life existence yeah. <laughs> you know i mean like and it's and it's not to say like don't question our stories like rip the stories apart like that's fine like i mm-hmm. like that's that's what makes me feel like a story can go to print is when someone's been like this was horribly written we're gonna rewrite it like that's fine but like it's some people aren't ready for different perspectives mm-hmm. that makes sense and now it listening to that it makes me wonder if the two of y'all had kind of this same experience um coming into the position of Hispanic affairs or Latino affairs reporter, um, because when you came in, Nicole, there was nobody. And then, Rachel, when you came in, there was Nicole already, and she had already been pretty well established. And so, like, looking back and talking about, like, that article that you wrote on the, it was, what were they called? The Charros Escaramuzas or something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you coming in, I so I, I was thinking about that. I would have been able to write that article if I would have pitched it, but I didn't know they existed, you know, because they didn't say anything. And it was, I wasn't given enough time to get to know my community. So, um you know, thinking about maybe how you came in, what the culture and what the scenery and what the newsroom looked like for you, Nicole, do you think that it was maybe the same for you, Rachel, or do you think it was different? Um, I think, I think it was, it was probably different for me since the newsroom and my editors were used to having someone cover this community And I don't know if Nicole had to fight for it, but like I said, my editors are really open to giving me time to do whatever. I think there are some smaller battles that I'm still fighting, but um, yeah, I I think it's I think that's probably inevitable. Yeah, it's totally inevitable. You got to get used to a new way. Like you got to get used to like a new way like things work out. And like there's still things that just don't work out and Mm -hmm. that, you know, we'll be texting each other about and be like, did you ever deal with this? And how do you deal with this? You know, and usually it's just like, you know, we get we're journalists. We get really worked up about the smallest things. (laughs) But it's it's, you know, and it's all just going to end up making it better. I think. I don't know. I was trying to think of some other, like, what are some, like, things that you've heard from people as, like, a problem that you're like, God, I hope that never happens to me. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I guess, well, you think of one. I just thought of one as I asked you that question. <laughs> I'm super sorry. <laughs> um, I think something that is always hard and a struggle with is that sometimes I think reporters of color, especially if it's they're from a group that has a different language, is this assumption that the language skill is the most important thing about them. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of discussions about, um, you know, not just leaning too heavily on reporters who like have it have another language ability just to act as translators because it's like we're reporters too like i i don't you know if i'm going to be participating in a story um i can interview people like my and and it's and especially since like a lot of us um like just i don't know if people know this but like translation is a certifiable skill mm-hmm. like it's something you take a class for it's very hard Super i am hard. not a translator like i just i don't know how to like get that across sometimes and i think a lot of people have struggles like i'm not a translator i'm a reporter i can talk so much easier with people in spanish come back to my notes put it together than i can simultaneously translate for a story that i have like no 
agency in, mm-hmm. it can be kind of demoralizing sometimes, you know, especially since, again, like it's like I'm a reporter. You can use my reporting skills as well as my language skills. You know, like you can pull me in on a cop story and that's fine. Give me a byline. Like mm-hmm. that's that I think that's something that's people are still trying to adjust to sometimes. And and like that's that's standard. That's standard practice in in journalism is is not to. Not to just ask your reporters to translate. Like I've actually put this question to a couple of like listservs and and journalism boards. It's like, how do you like? What do you do? Like, what's the best way to navigate it? And you understand because people, your newsroom is really excited to have these language skills, right? And but it's extra work. Like right. it takes a lot of time. Like doing that Escaramusa story, we I worked with the. Um, with our photographer to put together that video and like like this is not the same thing because I have a byline in that video it was an awesome fun video to do glad to do that project it was incredibly hard to get fit together that video is fully bilingual to fit together all of the Spanish and English like it takes it takes time it's not easy and so you know if someone's going to be doing work for it they should get their name on it like I that's mean, something leaders i think um they get paid something like at least 40 45 dollars an hour mm-hmm. um to translate like in writing i yeah. think like live translation yeah. is much more expensive because it's much more difficult it's hard it's, <laughs> it's really hard but that also brings up another really really good point just not necessarily just about representation in media but representation across the board is like if you hire like one person and you check that box of like okay we're not all white like your job is not done mm-hmm. you can't and and what ends up happening is tokenism is what ends up happening is you and this happens you know in in industries everywhere where you have like that one bilingual person and then that one bilingual person um is expected to do all of the normal work of everybody else but on top of that they're supposed to be translators they're supposed to um review everything and and put it into spanish Mm -hmm. and you know review the spanish if somebody else translated it on top of like their normal duties and that actually is um contributing to the systemic racism that is already embedded you can't just have one person put everything on that one person and then say like oh you know i'm inclusive because Mm -hmm. that absolutely isn't inclusion because tokenism is a form of racism as well Mm -hmm. and so um you know there's what is it in canyon county there's 25 percent Latinos are mm-hmm. 25% of the reporters in the newsroom Latino? Nope. No. That means <laughs> yeah. y'all are still underrepresented. Yeah. At mm-hmm. least we have something. And, and I'm kind of sick and tired of us always having to be grateful for the little crumbs that we get. Mm-hmm. Because, yes, it's a step in the right direction. Cool. Applaud. But we still need to keep going until we have equal representation. And that's not just in newsrooms. That's in our legislature. That's on our school boards. That's in, you know, rep, uh, principals in our public high schools. It's mm-hmm. everywhere. As long as we once we achieve fair representation across the board, then we can start talking about, OK, you know, is this working mm-hmm. <laughs> or do we just need more brown people than white people? That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not well, flip it? For I mean, a while? like, well, like all the things that you described, like that falls on that one person exactly. as tokenism is like it's exhausting. Yeah, and it's terrifying. Yeah. I had a breakdown one time in the newsroom about 
um, because I was going out of town and like a story broke that involved multiple Spanish speakers. And I was like literally on my way out of town and I was trying to set people up with translators. And I was so frustrated, so frustrated Mm -hmm. that I ended up yelling at one of my coworkers, like where they're like, can I help? Can I help? And I was like, yes, you can learn Spanish, like (laughs) which was incredibly mean of me. But I was very stressed out. It was just like it's you. that's like it's. Yeah, and then you get labeled the fiery Latina. Yeah, like I know. Salty, saucy, 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 spicy, spicy, saucy, and spicy. Yeah, okay, whatever, whatever that stereotype is. Yeah, but it's like they should. You shouldn't. That shouldn't. Exactly. That burden shouldn't have to be on you. Like you right. can be like. I think a lot of times we push ourselves to be in spaces that maybe we normally wouldn't be in because we feel the burden of making sure somebody is there mm-hmm. and somebody yeah. is speaking, even if like. You know, you have limited um, interests or expertise in mm-hmm. that particular area, but that's exhausting. That's how you burn people yeah, out. That's true. Yeah. And so, like I said, it's about also retaining the one Latina yeah. that you do have. And a way yeah. to not retain someone is putting all of this work on them. And it's like, in addition to all of this work we have to do, we're also like, well, I have to like try to also be a leader for like young Latinas to get them into this field so it's like you have so much you have to do and you're just one person and you're trying to like carry you know everyone on your back and like carry this newsroom and try to make it better right and meanwhile you're just trying to do your job exactly yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. well um we're gonna have to go ahead and wrap up this podcast um so I want to end it on a really quick note in that Um, talking to our brothers and sisters and siblings in the Latinx community, um, you know, not only should you strive to be the representation that you wish to see either in newsrooms or whatever, but you should also support other people who are on that trajectory as well. So um, kind of going back to like just the way that my career has end up span, you know, spanning 10 years or so. I don't remember how long it's been. But um, I ended up becoming the change kind of that I wanted to see. But then I turn around and I see that there are very few people who followed me. And I want to be able to mentor young Latina and Latino um, people who want to do kind of the same thing. So if you're an organization and you're Latino serving or you want to be Latino serving and you want to see things you know, represented in media, for example, but you're not willing to hire like a comms person of color, then, you know, you're part of that as well. And if you're um, a Latino, Latina, Latino, Latinx, Latine, whatever the term is, if you're one of those people um, and you want to have a career in something, look for mentors. I mean, a common theme also in this conversation instead of just community has been mentorship. And so um, look for mentors because they will make a difference. And there are, there are, mentors of color in whatever it is that you're looking at they're hard to find but they are there Mm -hmm. so please do reach out please do support each other um because if you close the door behind you you're setting the whole community back yeah one of the things that i love about our community is that we're so good at connecting people to each other Mm -hmm. i mean like and like i i think rachel would say the same thing like if you're listening to this if and you and you want to get involved in journalism or you've got a niece or a friend or a daughter or um you know a son who wants to at least figure out like could i you know be a producer on a tv show could i be a reporter like reach out to us we yeah. absolutely want to help i mean like 
and it can be you can come job shadow you can come mm-hmm. intern one like I went to an interview one time where one of the the people I was talking to was like hey like can um when you're coming back because I was like doing a couple of interviews like when if you're if you're coming back can my neighbor come and hang out with you and watch how you do your job um, because she's interested in journalism and I was like yeah absolutely like just and she just hung out and like kind of like I mean I think it would have been boring but like she was just she just hung out and kind of just like watched me talk to people and like did you feel like a superstar no I didn't because there were a lot of people let me know if you want it yeah let me know (laughs) but like really like but like sometimes it's just like getting in the room Yes. Because mm-hmm. you can see like anybody who like hangs out with me like interviewing people I think would would figure out pretty quickly that this is not rocket science. Yeah. Like it's really like not that hard and yeah. it's yeah, you can and, reach out to any of us and yeah. we'll be and happy. Another way that you can create space is pay your stinking interns. Please. Because when you don't pay your interns, you are specifically providing that kind of doorway for just privileged kids. So pay your interns um Nicole, Rachel, I'm so grateful to have y'all on. I could talk about this for hours with the both of you, and thankfully we're friends, and so we can. Yeah. Let's, go. Let's have dinner tomorrow. This It'll is basically greatest hits of all of our conversations. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> It's so true. So um, we're sad that uh, JJ and Megan couldn't be here. Um, But thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Rachel, for your time. Thank you for the work that you do. Um, We're we're all rooting for you. Thank Uh, you. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, of course. And for everybody who is listening, uh, thank you for listening because this podcast would be nothing without its listeners. Uh, If you want to follow us, both, well, both, all of us, Rachel Ash, who's been quiet today. (laughs) Rachel, Ash, Nicole, and I, and also JJ and Megan are all very active on Twitter. You can follow us all on Twitter or you can um, follow the Latino card at the Latino card. We also have a Facebook account. Uh, Thank you to Joy Horton for the music that makes us sound super legit. And we will see you all in the next podcast.